This episode is sponsored by Rye Law Group. Now, these esquires have dispensed with the traditional law firm model, opting instead for a streamlined approach. Because they are entrepreneurs themselves, they bring the founder mindset through all phases of launching a business. From formation, through venture capital fundraising, private placements, joint ventures, acquisitions, and what all entrepreneurs hope for, an exit. Headquartered in Santa Monica, but accessible globally, think of Rye Law Group as your business law co-founder. You can schedule a consultation at rylawgroup.com, and that's spelled R-I-E, lawgroup.com. Hello, everyone. Uh, Today we have Phil Cohn. Phil is a former successful investment banker, an entrepreneur who had a company through 500 startups, the Accelerator in San Francisco, and has now become uh, an even more successful angel investor. Um, He has grappled with chronic health issues, and um, he actually also moved to China and speaks fluent Mandarin. Phil, great to have you here. Thank you, Asim. It's great to be here. I want to start from the beginning. So um, you have two other siblings and you moved around uh, a few times while growing up. Where were the places that you were? Hmm. So I was actually born in New Jersey, lived there for about six years. I missed a third of kindergarten because we were vacationing to Sanibel Island, Florida during that year. So my parents eventually said, Hey, we should probably just move there. We're spending a lot of time there. So I went to elementary and middle school in, um, Fort Myers adjacent to Sanibel Island. And then we moved again to Evergreen, Colorado, which is where I went to high school. And since then, uh, have moved to Michigan for university to New York for work to Australia and then to China and then back to the States. Gotcha. Now remind me your birth rank. So I'm the first uh, of three children. Gotcha. Um, I have it on good authority that you have a Kirby Puckett baseball. Kirby Puckett signed baseball. Tell us about how that happened. Wow. What a great question. And I, um, I'm only scratching my brain a couple of times here, remembering when I told you that. But of course, everything I tell you never gets forgotten. So thanks for that. That is just such a beautiful memory. The Minnesota Twins used to spring train, and I believe they still may spring train down in Fort Myers, Florida. And so as a little kid growing up, and I've always been a huge baseball fan, baseball player, um, pitching was always my uh, my thing in high school. And uh, a lot of what I learned in life actually kind of stemmed from interest in baseball. And at one point when I was, I think I was in elementary school, my dad came home and said, Hey, check out the back of this shopping list, you know, piece of cardboard. I ran into Kirby Puckett at Publix and I got a signature for you. <laughs> and uh, number 34, Kirby Puckett. I'll never forget the way the announcers uh, would announce his name, Kirby Puckett. And just a uh, chubby little Kirby Puckett always stepping up to the plate and just doing well. What a, what a beautiful player and a beautiful human who had a pretty sudden and tragic end to his life and uh, just one of my all-time favorites. Amazing. 
Um, tell us more about baseball influencing your life because that's uh, an interesting kernel, an interesting thread that I wasn't uh, quite aware of. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for, thanks for that invitation. Um, so I was always uh, the pitcher, one of the pitchers. Um, I also had um, quite an arm that worked well in the outfield. And I actually started as an infielder, played a lot of third base and, and shortstop and was also a power hitter. Um, baseball, as with many sports, is so much about the mindset. And when you get up on the mound and you make a mistake, um, you know, you, you have to put it behind you right, right away, especially as baseball is very different than other sports where it's sort of the eyes are on you because you're the pitcher and you're starting out the play and, and, you know, you're really listening deeply to the situation. You're taking signs from the catcher, but you're also thinking about what you think is best because you can shake off the signs if they don't feel right. And so you're in this really interesting position of control yet you're still part of a team. And so um, I think being a pitcher really helped shape kind of my, my, my mindset and my ability to work through things play by play, pitch by pitch, just take it one step at a time. And um, I think it's taught me a lot of life lessons around just taking things a step at a time. And, you know, steps aren't always in the right direction. You might have three three balls before you get that first strike on that player you might have to walk a few players before you get back on track and you know you, mistakes are going to be made for sure you're never very rarely going to pitch a perfect game um so yeah i learned a ton just just from from well it's also uh it seems to highlight resilience um which is a topic of one of your favorite authors adam grant mm-hmm as you say, it's mindset. So if you make a mistake on the mound, you have to quickly get past that and get in the right mind frame to deliver the next pitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and there's, there's a lot there with resilience, you know, just acknowledging things that have gone wrong, learning from them, um, and also just staying strong um, kind of externally too. I think as you're a baseball player and, and particularly a pitcher and all eyes are on you, you know, if you're shaking your head and you're really getting deep down in the, in the, in the depths of your mistakes, your, the facade that you're putting on starts to really chip away at your resilience and starts to create a lot of doubt um, from your fans, from your players. And, and, you know, there's, there's that mental resilience that also comes with sort of that body language too, that I think, I learned a lot about just putting on the game face, but also being very re- real with myself around um, learning and evolving and building building resilience. That's great. Um, was it your brother who had a uh, hip issue, medical issue, while you guys were young? Yeah, it was my, my brother. Um, he was diagnosed with leg perthes disease when he was pretty young. I think he was 11 or 12. And uh, basically his hip um, wasn't rounded properly into his socket. So when he would move around, it would um, rub in a really uncomfortable way and um, just create a lot of pain and inflammation and led him to having to do a, a sort of a double surgery 
how'd that impact you? Yeah, it was um, interestingly at a time when I wasn't listening or as as aware as I was um, now. I think I felt a lot of trauma and and pain from him and didn't really know how to support him. Um, didn't wasn't really focused on that. I was more kind of in my teenage years, running around and kind of just being being a young young kid, not so much a supportive older brother, which. I think has, has created some, um, I don't know, repressed emotions over time that I think are good to work through and talk through at some point, but yeah, it definitely created challenges in our family. It, for the most part, really opened up our understanding to health in a really different way. I mean, the before and after of our, my family's views of health and medicine and particularly mental health really shifted through that experience. Your mom is a spiritual counselor. That's definitely one way to describe her. She uh, is also an ex-CIA um, recruit. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, well, and that's just taken directly from her uh, email signature, her website. So, but, but, but tell me more. Um, so she understands personas and personalities. Um, almost went into the CIA got recruited um, and was being basically being followed around and got a little spooked by that process and was also pregnant with me at the time and so decided to pause on that um, and has since evolved into a spiritual healer, an animal communicator, a Reiki master. She studied all sorts of forms of meditation and astro traveling and is very much on one end of the spectrum in terms of energy medicine and, and healing. Um, and just an unbelievably beautiful human who I think I've only just started to really learn from in, in a really meaningful way in this life. Did she have these proclivities towards um, healing and, and interacting with animals from a young age for you? Or was that something recent? Or was it tied to your brother's illness or, or surgery? Yes, to all of that. Um, she had it in her DNA because her father, my grandfather, and his father, my great-grandfather, were uh, medical doctors, surgeons um, in Chicago and um, have ha had all sorts of really interesting experiences with um, trauma and um, just medicine. My grandfather actually took his life um, at, a, at a very old age. Um, which, which is something that we don't talk too much about, but um, there was definitely an, some, some interesting mental health challenges on that side of the family and even on my, my mom's side, my dad's side of the family as well. Were you responsible for naming Tucker? Oh, Tucker. Um, I don't believe that Tucker that I was part of that naming process. I'm sure I was sitting there nodding my head and saying, wow, what a, what a perfect name, but. Because I've heard he's named after Michael Tucker, a baseball player whom you admired. Wow. Um, that's right. That's right. Oh my goodness. Michael Tucker. Yeah. The, um, the Atlanta Braves, Michael Tucker and our friends and playing basketball with him. What a fun, fun memory. Yeah, wasn't it in 91 when the Twins beat the Braves to win the World Series the same year you got Kirby Puckett's autograph? You just connected some dots that I wouldn't have uh, recognized, so obviously, yes. 
<laughs> um, Phil, when was your first Vipassana retreat? My first Vipassana retreat was in late September of 2017. Okay, so that's pretty recent. Um, and uh, what inspired you to go on that retreat? In a short period of time, I've, I've gotten so into Vipassana, just so you know. I had been hearing about Vipassana from three very different people in my life. Finally, when I was living in San Francisco, I was in the middle of 500 Startups um, Accelerator program with my business. And I noticed one of the peers in my cohort was sitting working really hard on his, you know, multi-screen monitor, you know, jamming away. And then, in, you know, 1 PM, just a little while later that day, he was sitting there reading Marcus Aurelius meditations, you know, in the middle of the sofa over on the other side of the room. And so I kind of went up to him and I'm like, Hey, let's, you know, get to know each other. Just, I was really called to get to know this guy. And, and I'm like, so tell me about, you know, just, you know, you clearly are really into meditating. He's like, Oh yeah. You know, I'm, I just did a Vipassana recently as my second one. And, and I was like, you know what, this is now enough of a sign. Like I've now met a few different people and here's this amazing human who, and so for me, it was this process of discovering really fascinating people who had done a Vipassana or a few Vipassanas and had incorporated it into their life. And it was one of those like, wow, I want to, I want to taste what they've tasted. There was this window of time that I had between the time I signed up and two weeks later, I was going to Kreuzlingen, Switzerland for the first of two visits to a biodentist to have an unbelievably intricate procedure done on my mouth to basically help with some of the chronic health issues that I had. And I said, you know what, what a perfect time to go really deep within and really heal and build some resilience for this pretty crazy trip that I have coming up. And so I squeezed the Vipassana in actually went up to Canada for it, flew back to San Francisco, landed in the morning and basically took off that night to fly to Switzerland for this procedure. And uh, a lot of interesting things happened during that period of time that were just the world testing how patient and resilient and, and sort of calm I could remain. I had canceled flights, missed flights, and had to stay overnight in a hotel, all sorts of funny things. And I was just laughing to myself thinking, this is very clearly what's meant to be. Like, uh, and, and just, I knew everything would be okay. And, and it was. It reminded you of being on the mound, maybe. Yeah, exactly. It was a, it was a rocky, rocky start uh, uh, to a very beautiful nine innings of a, of a game. <laughs> so Vipassana is really about, um, uh, like it, 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 it's insight-based. It you used a phrase. I, I, you said your, your um, impulse was that you wanted to taste it too. So the natural question is, have you? I definitely did. And um, what I tasted was pure bliss and pure nirvanic happiness that comes from nothing external. And what I mean by that is in 10 days of Vipassana, three days are just pure breath and anapana, straight in and out of your nose, um, breathing, 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 and then body scanning and, and just getting in touch with sensations. That That's in a nutshell, what Vipassana is all about. In During those 10 days, there's no eye contact, there's no body language, there's no gestures, there's no spoken language, just pure, um, pure silence. You're not consuming anything from the outside. There's no reading, there's no TV. Um, and you're, the human monkey mind starts to sort of light up 
in the very early period of those 10 days of just, wait, what about this? What about that? Oh my gosh, I've got to tell this friend and where they're not going to be able to find me for 10 days. And I wonder how my mom's doing and just, and, but you don't feed that mind anything because you're just meditating all day. So you end up just quieting yourself down to a level of just being there with yourself and being in the midst of really beautiful vibrations. It's just listening to some chanting in the morning creates such happiness. I remember exactly where I was day eight and a few other things that happened that day where I was like, wow, like life is so great. I had come out of a a pretty long stretch of being very um, challenged with some chronic health issues and felt some very low points. And then just to pop to such a high point and and really start to have a taste of where the mind can go um, with, with, no external, you know, nobody's feeding me medicine. Nobody's giving me drugs. And here I was the highest I've ever felt. It was just such a beautiful taste of, wow, this, this is so real. I mean, this is experiential wisdom that I never could have intellectualized or read about anywhere. That's so profound. Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, one of the lucky few been able to tap into it as we've been discussing meditation is so elusive for so many. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm glad, and as, uh, as you are a close friend, I'm, I'm happy for you that you've, you've had that. That's really great. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about these chronic health issues and how that has uh, informed, or change, decision, informed decisions in your life or altered a path because you were a very successful investment banker at a very prestigious bulge bracket firm, and then... What happened from there? Yeah. Um, well, what happened from there is I started a, a job after investment banking, traveling to China for business trips. This was in 2010, 2011, and 12. I had such a profound experience with China from the, the get-go. Some might call it drinking the Kool-Aid. Some may call it just a connection that's hard to explain and some, some even say, oh, in a past life, you must have been Chinese because this is just hard to, <laughs> hard to wrap my hands, hands around and head around what really happened. Um, but I basically was just hooked on China from the very beginnings of traveling there for business trips and so hooked to the point that I just said, I just want to live here. I want to live and breathe and consume as much China and Chinese as possible. And that led to full immersion in, in Mandarin. Um, very quickly picked up the language. Um, I, I had a long stretch where I just told people I don't even speak English. Sorry, I just have to speak Mandarin. I mean, I'm literally living and breathing it every every day. And um, kind ended of a up Vipassana retreat in Mandarin. Yeah, totally. It's funny. Vipassana, Mandarin immersion, and investment banking have so many commonalities. I mean, it's just boot camp to to learn um, as much as you can, kind of thing. And, um, yeah, it was while I was living in China, I was in sort of the second stage of three stages or so of, um, my Chinese learning and immersion. Um, I woke up so sick one day and i had had some combination of water and food poisoning, I believe. Um, and my, I just had the most upset stomach. I felt so unwell. I ended up going to the hospital and getting all sorts of IVs and, um, things to, to sort of just kind of put a put a cork in in what was happening and i 
have never been the same since that day. That was November of 2013. And what really happened and transpired in some sense was a process of searching for diagnoses and answers and fixes and in a totally different way an evolution of myself and shedding layers and becoming my purest most aware most resilient self so it's super interesting i mean i can tell the story in two completely different ways um and um yeah i mean suffice it to say i went through a long period of um searching for doctor doctors who knew how to diagnose me and taking all the different tests and once i got sort of answers per what the tests sort of say and said taking all of the fixes associated with that which i tried pretty much every single antibiotic as well as some anti-malarial medicine i had a long period of bee sting therapy that was reducing inflammation and helping rebuild the blood brain barrier that had been broken down. Apparently I had, um, I tried frog medicine at one point. I've tried every single probiotic and supplement on, on the shelves and on the planet. And I think like a lot of other people, you know, had a whole shelf of supplements that went bad and then a whole nother shelf. And I've probably thrown away, thousands and thousands of dollars of supplements. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, went to a really expensive dentist and went to a healing center in Wichita, Kansas, and went to another healing center in Washington state. And it's just so fascinating. I mean, I have so many learnings there from, you know, the 10 days I spent here for $10,000 and the 10 days I spent in silence doing Vipassana for, you know, $200 of a donation. And what it, what it has taught me about myself and, you know, at the end of the day, I just think so much of healing is emotional and, um, you know, we're humans, we're physical beings that have spirit within us and that have some untold, unmeasurable side to us that um, is very affected by energy and emotions and just um, and so the more I've been able to tap into that side of healing and particularly yoga leading to meditation, leading to breath work, I've learned how to cleanse on an emotional level and heal on an emotional level. And it's just the, the capacity to continue to grow and learn and, and he heal is a funny word, you know, heal is restoring balance, but it's also in my mind now I'm, I'm optimizing my health. I'm, I'm continuing to grow beyond where, where I ever thought I would be. And I think there's more science around meditation and, um, you know, the power of the mind and the mind body connection. And yeah, it's just, I'm so fortunate to have had at such a young age, such a big health crisis that shifted my trajectory in life and put me on a path to learn and grow in a much more meaningful way. That's so fantastic. Phil, some of the words you used in the beginning almost evoked this image of a cocoon and a butterfly coming out. Is that how it feels? Yeah, yeah, it definitely um, could be could be akin to that. I think if I were to think about that analogy and the struggles that happen, you know, trying to push out of a of a cocoon and feeling stuck and not knowing what's going to come out of it. I mean, yeah, there's, I could almost think through every piece of that in that, in that analogy. It's a beautiful analogy. 
Um, and yeah, I, I, I do think now I'm in somewhat of the, the butterfly stage of this where something beautiful is coming out of it. It led to us meeting. It led to us getting to know each other. There's so much to learn from you. There's so much to learn from all the people around me right now. And I think it's also interesting. A butterfly is most, a butterfly is very much, um, the beauty of a butterfly I should say is very much a function of its surroundings and, you know, a really colorful butterfly against a really, colorful backdrop doesn't shine you know really really animates that that whole um, situation of a butterfly in a really dark setting um doesn't really get seen and a butterfly at night is kind of invisible so um yeah i'm 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 very conscious of the fact that my ability to shine and my and the beauty in myself as a butterfly very much depends on what i surround myself with my physical environment emotional environment the, the, the amazing people that get to be that I get to be part of their lives and vice versa. And I think a butterfly is such a great analogy. Yeah. That's such a great way to say it. I love the way you framed that a mm. butterfly at night is invisible. Mm -hmm. Great. Wow. Well done. <laughs> and thank you for the compliments that uh, uh, you, you offered up throughout. Yeah, for um, sure. So, uh, we were talking earlier about these meta, these analogies between different arenas, and you talked about how uh, Mandarin immersion and Vipassana meditation and investment banking are all similar. Now, it's too juicy not to dive into. <laughs> so let's spend some time. and Because um, I'm not sure the investment banking side of it is completely clear to me. <laughs> <laughs> Having been one myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I break it down into a few things. Um, discipline mm. uh, across those. Um, mindset, resilience, and, and structure are kind of some of the words that are coming through to me. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid of Vipassana for how strict it is. I mean, you have to wake up at 4 a.m. You have to do this. And, you, you know, if you touch or speak, you know, you might get kicked out. So, so people are very strict about it because they, they worry about the implications. Same with, um, the Mandarin immersion I did. I, I did a program. My first big push with Mandarin immersion was at Tsinghua university. It's, it was called the IUP program. And we had to sign a language pledge the first day that said, I Phil Cohn promise not to speak English. And if I do, I know I might get sent home. And, you know, investment banking is kind of similar in that way. It's so disciplined. Uh, it's, it's and I think a lot of people would agree it's too disciplined. And it's become less disciplined in recent times because people, they have maybe been pushed over the edge and analysts have burnt out. And so we, we could agree that maybe it's um, become a little bit more fair since the days we were there. But it goes without saying, if you, if you create a very disciplined environment, um, and there's real ramifications. And if people can see the process that's in place and, and sort of the success that comes out of that process, it's very inspiring. I mean, I think we could have a whole conversation and hopefully we will with those who served in, you know, the Navy or the Marines or the army and, you know, what motivates people to go through such crazy challenging situations? Well, the resilience that comes out of it, the ability to serve others, um, and just the discipline that has to be in place to make that happen. I think it really inspires me and has a lot of parallels to some of the things we're talking about right now. Absolutely. Um, 
Phil, I can tell, I get this sense that discipline and structure um, are, have been very important to you in your life. They've guided a lot of what you've done. I feel like you seek that or crave the, those settings where you can have that. Where do you think that stems from? You know what? I think it stems from I never really knew that until I started to become chronically like in, until I started to have some of these chronic health challenges, I didn't really appreciate the value of it. And so I had to kind of go back and discover it for myself. Um, and, and this, I, I think there's a whole interesting thread here with education and just, you know, Singapore on the one end being like the most disciplined country and, and just seeing the high degrees of achievement and sort of education that come out of that compared to, public schools and the schooling systems in, in the U.S. I never really understood discipline. And um, I think just more and more as I've met people who've inspired me in life, I've realized that some of the greatest things to learn from those people have been their kind of the discipline that they've learned and particularly what that's shaped in terms of mindset and managing emotions and, and things like that, because they all tie together very closely, I, I believe. No, that makes complete sense. Um, do you think that the chaos of falling sick and not knowing what this is, not having a firm treatment plan, that uncertainty, uh, that not knowing, that maybe that kind of pushed you in a place where you really craved settings where you could have that discipline or that structure because that felt more secure? hundred percent. And I think a lot of people who go through an autoimmune challenge or a chronic health challenge get everything sort of falling apart around them. And it's, and, and this very much happened from my experience too, is like, how do I rebuild my routine in my life and how do I get things organized? And yeah, it really starts with a disciplined mindset to reestablish routine, to build good habits um, Absolutely. Um, Phil, this has been an amazing conversation, super illuminating. I feel like I've gotten to know you better, which is a real blessing. I love talking to you, and, and I'm also very grateful that we, we uh, had this opportunity. Thank you very much. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.